We're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 313 today. It is not maybe a traditional like Easter sermon. And so it is, uh, it, we're just following 1 Thessalonians. We're moving through it and we have been studying it for some weeks now. And so as we do work through this today, hopefully you will come away and understand more fully uh, what God has um, planned for his people, how we're to serve our risen Savior and I hope that that will be the case as you do that. Now, in the first chapter, when we were studying First Thessalonians, we found out about, really, one author said, you, you could say the focus is on Christian evangelism. Uh, others have said that the focus really even goes towards the, the individual receiving the gospel. And so you might say uh, it's, it's just a powerful like testimony of how God changes hearts how he changes lives, and how that happens through people speaking to them. And so we know that Paul's going to kind of talk about here how this church was formed and it began. In chapters uh, 2 and 3, uh, one person said, it's, this is the focus, is Christian ministry. And we look and say, what does it mean to invest in people and to love people and to, to serve them in the church? And how, what does it mean to live a life that is sacrificially serving the church? And, and all of that's kind of unpacked here. And some people even say chapter 2 focuses on the actual witnesses and chapter 3 on how those witnesses follow up. How those who share the gospel follow up with others. And so we just kind of see that all of that's kind of unpacked here now. Some churches are really good at like, they love to talk about getting, the, when I was growing up, they would say we get people saved as if, I don't know how you do that, but, but basically they, they say what we do is just kind of get people to believe the gospel, but they struggle with like, how do we teach people and invest in people and give our lives in service to people? And so what we see in the apostle Paul is he takes the whole great commission and he does go out and speak the gospel and people believe and then he teaches them all that the Lord has taught us. And so we see that he, he offers not only uh, this, this doctrinal teaching, but also his life. And he's a, certainly an example for us as we see how that kind of is unpacked. Paul was one of those people not, it wasn't kind of, you know how somebody like comes in and you know them and then, and then maybe you've met someone for, for you have a friend and, and when they're gone, you kind of forget about them. But they come back in town every holiday and y'all get together and you y'all reconnect or whatever. Paul didn't just kind of forget about those people for, you know, 11 months out of the year and just remember them. He, he remembered them all the time. He speaks of his heart being with these people. He loved them and he treasured them. So I think for a Christian today, as we're reading this text, I think a Christian should say we should be known by our love for one another. We should be known for that. We should be trying to encourage people in the faith. We, we should model and have a desire to be extremely helpful for others, other people to grow in Christ and to know him. We, we should really have the heart of Christ. Jesus left heaven. He came down to earth. He dwelt among us. He offered himself, he offered more than just his message, but he offered his life to people and he invested in them. We see that in him. He cared for his sheep. And what, not only that, you could say he cared individually for his sheep. That Jesus even would say there is great joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, one who turns to the Lord. So we should have the heart of the shepherd. I think a Christian should see that this morning. We should understand that. 
But we, we also, as a Christian, you understand that we, it's, it's because of the work of God in us. It's the, the Spirit of God's work in us that draws us to that. Paul said the love of Christ compelled him. He didn't just come out of it out of nowhere. It compelled him to love and to treasure people. I would say too, maybe if you're someone here, you say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really, I don't really dig the church. I'm not really into that. Maybe today you would look at that and say, you know, if you, if you look at this text this morning, you would see how important it is that the church have people that invest in them. That you, it's, it's a life that lacks humility, that does not want that. We, we should want other people in our lives helping us grow closer to Christ. We need that. He created us for that. And I, I would just say it's very encouraging for you if you're here and you're kind of struggling that you need to understand not only that, we are to give our lives in service to others. All of that could be seen. If you're not a Christian today, maybe you say, what is the best way to get a picture of who God is? What Christ is like? The reality is, is within the Christian community, the church, you should see a picture of what the Lord is like. You should see that heart. You should want to be around those and say, what is this Christianity thing about? I've heard about it in words. I need to see it with my eyes. I want to understand that. And so all those things I think are very important. So we're going to see that this morning and look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 17 and 18 real quick. Let's notice this. Paul, we see, was reluctant to leave and sought really to return to see these people. When Paul speaks, he speaks of being torn away. That, that idea there, this term that, that's kind of pictured there, is almost like a, a, a child growing up in a family. And walking alongside that family and getting poured into by the parents and loved on and and taken care of. And then all of a sudden the child is somehow torn away from the family. And ends up really spending their life without, uh, without their family. Without a loving family, maybe they would be kidnapped or something like that. It, that's the idea of being torn away. Paul felt like he had just been ripped away. And these people that were so close to him that he loved and cherished, well, he was torn away from them. Recently, some of you may have heard um, or maybe went to hear that uh, the lady Alexandra who shared about where she came to that place in World War Two. And she 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 kind of she was taken placed into a concentration camp, stripped away from her family, extremely difficult situation. I think of that when I think of this passage, Paul hated it. It broke his heart to be stripped away from these people. That's kind of the picture that you see. You notice what he says here. He says, even though I'm physically away, my heart's still there. I long to be with you. I I was uh, thought about a, a, a man this week. That was in the 1800s. He was uh, he he was a British doctor who went to Africa. His name was David Livingstone. Upon his death, like when he was, and really prior to his death, he told them. He says, "Listen, when I die, I want you to cut my heart out and leave it and bury it in Africa. You can send my body back to Great Britain, but leave my heart here." It's a very powerful thing to see that. And I think that should be something we would say as a church. We love our people. We love one another. We're generous towards one another. We're seeking the good of others. We love them. We seek after them and want good for them. And we see that going on here with the Apostle Paul. Now, what hindered Paul from going? He says Satan hindered him. 
I think it's interesting. Sometimes in our world, like maybe you've been around in different church worlds. And in some church worlds, like Satan does everything. You know, it's like, well, Satan made me do it. And Satan made me be mean to my wife today. Satan, you know, it's like Satan did everything. And in other places, it's like it's Satan doesn't exist. Paul understood that we are accountable for our actions, but he knew that the struggle there that he was facing in that moment was because Satan had sought to really bring destruction to this church and keep him from ministering to him to them. So I just think it's important we understand that, that that's part of what it means to really as a, as a Christian to fight against that is to say we have to put on the full armor of God and stand firm because Satan seeks to destroy the church. Verse 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul knew that he served a resurrected Christ. A resurrected Savior. He believed that. You see this. He says he will return. Christ is going to return. He's going to come. Why does Paul speak of that? At the end of each chapter, the way we divide our chapters, we see that the coming of Christ at chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. He kept pointing to Christ is alive. Christ ascended into heaven. Christ is there and he's going to return to his church. I think it's just important we note that because what we'll see there is as you look at this, he's going to say, He's giving them hope because he's saying, I'm going to be with you one day if I never get to see you again. Have you ever been around like maybe somebody in your family and you think this may be the last time I may not ever get to see this family member again, but I will see them again in the future. I will be with them in the Lord. And sometimes that's hard because we do. Sometimes we're, we're torn away from someone. Maybe in our family we think, I just want to see them. I just want to be close to them. And we can't experience that in its fullness. And yet we say, one day I will see them in the end. I always mess with people and be like, I'll see you on the other side. See you on the other side. I'll, you know, because you never know. And I don't really do it just for that. I'm not always thinking... Lord, I know one day, you know, but I just like playing with people. But at the same time, that's the reality that Paul points to the future and the end. When he does this, he, he this is a very powerful picture. He's going to there's so much joy packed into this as he, he gets to be with the resurrected Christ. He's going to stand among the people of God. That should be one of the most exciting things in all the life your life. If you have spent your life investing in people that you might be able to stand with them one day before the Lord, really as them as part of your life where you stand and say, Lord, these are offered to you. I sought with all my heart to reach people for the gospel. Now I stand among them. That has to be one of the greatest joys ever. If you don't invest in a lot of people, you may think, what am I going to be doing? But if you invest in people and live the Christian life and seek to raise your children in the Lord, or you seek to reach people with the gospel, or you come to this church and you seek to help people grow up, and you're not just thinking about yourself when you come here, but you're outwardly focused, you're saying, how can I invest? How can I love? How can I cherish? I want to give myself. Then I will stand among these people, and they will be something one of the most astonishing things that you could ever imagine. Those even who have maybe, you know, there, there are going to be somewhere you'll be standing with someone who invested in you. It's just a beautiful picture of what it means to experience the future resurrection. We'll all gather together. 
I'll just say one last thing about that is you may not ever know the impact that your life has on others. You really may not. But if you live to the glory of God, I, I can promise you, God is working. Uh, 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 he's sending you out into places and in allowing you to invest in people in such marvelous ways. I encourage you to continue in it. Chapter three, verse one. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. Now, just it's you're going to see the latter part of here. He's going to say, why do they need to be established? Why do they need to be exhorted? Because of the afflictions that they would be facing. He was afraid that they would they would be they would kind of be so beat up by affliction that they wouldn't be able to stand firm. You see in Paul's voice here, this anguish, he sends Timothy. I, I don't know if you've ever like maybe some of you worked individually I don't know I mean or maybe you work in a team or whatever but if you enjoy like that team environment which I often do I like to work in a group and uh, one of the things that's been hard even about starting Christ Community Church was like a lot of solo time just me working by myself because people are doing other things during the day and so when I see you it's usually in the evening or at lunch or here and so it's it's hard sometimes to be kind of alone Paul had been through so much difficulty. He was like an itinerant kind of ministry where he traveled all over. Timothy may have helped prepare his meals. Timothy may have helped him build tents. Timothy may have been like a nurse to him. Paul had been beaten, just left for dead. He'd been through so many trials. Many people believe he had a problem with his eyesight. Timothy may have been at some level his better set of eyes. All of those things are there. And I think it's important that we understand that because it was a great personal sacrifice to, for him to invest in these people in this way. But he wanted them to grow. He wanted to see them grow in the faith. He wanted them to be established and exhorted in the faith. You know, is that how you think about your life? When you think about your life, think, how can I sacrificially love on these people that they might grow in their faith, that they might come to love and cherish Christ more than ever before? One of the things you see about this, too, and I think it's just important when he says to establish and exhort you in the faith. You know, if you grew up like I did, sometimes you just define faith as like believing in Jesus one time. You could go back and say, I believed in Jesus on this date. And I, that's what I think about when I think of faith. Faith is only me kind of like trusting in the Lord. One of the things I think is important when we think about this term faith is that, that, that we kind of we have to see it as the, there is a way in which the scripture will talk about the faith. And it's speaking of the body of teaching, the body of doctrine that we have received. It's speaking of like the basics of the gospel even. Or maybe like we're looking at this morning when we talk, we read the Apostles' Creed. We say, what do we believe? That is the faith. Now what happens is if I establish you in the faith, I'm helping you understand the faith. Then what, what does that do? It allows you to grow in faith. Trusting God even more because you understand the faith. That makes sense. And I think it's important that we understand that. Because there's some level of Paul kind of, as we go through this letter, he's going to help establish them in the faith. Understand that Christ, for instance, has not returned. And when he does return, this is what's going to happen. Those kind of things are establishing people in the faith. And so it helps me walk in faith when I face trials. And that's kind of what you're seeing in this text. 
Romans 5, 3 through 5 says that knowing this, that, that the suffering that we face, it has a way of growing our character, of growing us up in the Lord. And so Paul wants them to, to understand they will suffer. You will suffer. If you walk with Christ, if you, you're going to live at some level in, in a, a period of suffering under the cross, this kind of gloomy picture. That's some level of what we're living in now. We are living in that period as we await the return of Christ, the glorious time where we'll be resurrected. But now we're living in this difficult time. We're living in this time of suffering. And so Timothy's kind of there to help them kind of move forward. And he does that in a marvelous way. And so now what's going to happen is Paul sends out Timothy to them. And then you'll see here that Paul is going to hear or Timothy's going to return to Paul and he's going to hear about it. Look at verses six and seven and eight. But now Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about your, you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. You know, sometimes you kind of, there's a worry. Paul was worried. He, he would leave a place and then he would hear all this news and he would hope things were going well. But he thinks like, what are people thinking about me there? What's going on there? These people, this church, it loves Paul. They, they want, they, they're speaking, really, there's a kindness here uh, towards Paul. They, they, they long to see Paul. They, they, they love to see him. They, they, they kind of continue fighting the fight alongside Paul. They're following Paul's example. You know, and, and sometimes in a church, like, uh, that's one of the wonderful things, is you invest in people in the church, you're, you're really, I mean, sometimes that's going to be very difficult in trying. There are some churches out there that really are known for, like, running off their pastors and leaders are always kind of stirring up trouble and and that's they're just kind of known for that you think you send the guy there he's probably not going to make it out alive you know but but there's there's kind of that kind of picture here but not these people these people are encouraging to them these people are the kind of uh, church where it's it puts wind in their sails it makes it say it's worth it it makes him say it's worth it it's worth it for me to keep doing these things because these people are so encouraging. They're so happy to receive the truth and to, they cherish it and they live in light of it and they're following the Lord and they just they long to see their leaders just impart more to them so they can grow more in Christ and be useful for his kingdom. He says that they might stand firm. What does it mean to stand firm? What does it mean to think to stand firm in the Lord? When you think about that, just, you know, there, I think throughout this text, and he kind of already hints at this in this chapter, but even in chapter one, he says, there's this picture of a growing faith that you're learning God's word really and applying it to your life. To stand firm is like you're learning to rely on the Lord more, to walk in faith, to trust him, to give your life in service, to, 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 and to really to pour into the lives of others. All of that, I'm, I'm, I'm growing in my faith. I keep learning truth about God. I keep applying it. That's what it means, a growing faith. Another thing is a growing love for God is people, really, and all people. We see that in this chapter. To stand firm in the Lord is I grow in my love for the Lord. I grow in my love for others. That's one of the things you see somebody walking by the Spirit. It is this overwhelming love for others. 
It's an overwhelming love for God's people. It's an overwhelming love for others out there that have yet to believe. All of those things are part of what it means to stand firm. And it means to hope in Christ. It means to keep before your eyes the resurrected Christ. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus ascended to heaven. And Jesus will return. That's what it means to, to hope or to stand firm in the Lord. Now, there's something here. It's, it's kind of like that phrase, in the Lord. We hear that. People, sometimes you hear people talk about in the Lord. And, and Paul does that a lot. And he doesn't do it for no reason. To be in the Lord has the idea of being united to him. It's to be, it's be intimately united to him. To have all the benefits of what that means. It means I can be, I'm justified. It means I can stand before God declared right before him. It means I'm adopted into his family. It means that he is working out sanctification in me. Making me more and more holy. It's in the Lord that I stand firm. I'm resting in what he's provided so I can do it. It's a life of believing God for what he has already promised to do. And what he's doing in me in the present. You know, for me personally, and, and, and many of you, there is nothing more joy-filled than to watch God's people growing in a love for truth, in a love for obedience to it, in a love for one another. You hang out among these people here at this church and you start seeing, look at them minister to one another. Look at the kind words they say to one another. Look at how they cherish one another. Look at how they're just giving their life in service. Look at their patience with one another. Look at their kindness with one another. All of those things we're saying, we see this work of faith and this labor of love. I see that. I see them actively doing it. It's not that the church is sitting here going, how can you serve me? How can you serve me? But rather, how can I serve lovingly towards others? How can I give my life in service to them? And then to see people that are awaiting Christ's return, that are waiting for Him to come, that are holding on to that. Some of these people, some of the people in this church, if you, you guys that are visiting, if you knew them, you know that they've been through difficulty this last year. You know that the waves of adversity have crashed against them. And yet, as that's taking place, they're hoping in Christ. They are clinging to Him. They are saying, He is my hope. And one day He will raise me up on the last day. There is nothing that would fill the heart of anyone who has been close to you as a church than to see you standing firm and waiting for the Lord's salvation. Verse 9 and 10. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we might see your face. I see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. See that? Who is he praising? It's not like I could say, I mean, oh, look at It's not like I would say, hey, this is like all of us. We're the greatest bunch of people on the planet. When we if we see See something like growing faith and growing love and growing in perseverance. When I see that, I say, that's to God. That looks like God. God showed up. God moved in the life of these people. God is working in them. God is transforming them. 
Paul's saying, I long to see you to help you grow in where you're lacking. It's not that they've arrived, but God is working in them. And you see that it's on display. It's amazing to me to watch Paul. He, he is one of the most encouraging people. I, it just he, he just says, I, I can only thank God for all the marvelous things that he's done in you. For all, look at what it says, for all the joy we feel for your sake. It's, he's not, Paul doesn't love to have a critical eye. I, I'm going to go after you. He, he's looking and he's seeing what's going on and he's just rejoicing. Certainly Paul's going to address some of their sin. Paul's going to address some of their misunderstanding. But his love is just overwhelming towards these people and towards God for what he's done by bringing them there. Such a marvelous picture. You see, Paul's praying. Just another little thing. Paul's praying for something that he does not receive quickly. Such a, an amazing thing for us too. To know that our prayers, oftentimes we're persevering in prayer. The apostles asking, can I see him? Can I see him? Can I see him? Can I see him? And they're not given, he's not given that until probably much later as we see later in Scripture. He just wants to see them grow over and over. Now, let's look at verses 11 through 13. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And then may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So the first thing, what do we see? Paul is asking that God again would allow him to see those dear people. It's funny with us. Uh, will will say sometimes, call Uncle Jason. And so that doesn't mean just call him where we can't see him. It means FaceTime with Uncle Jason, but he hasn't got that down yet. And so he says, call Uncle Jason. And we pull him up and Uncle Jason's sitting there smiling. And look, here's Chandler and there's Perry, their little dog. And the Aunt T shows up. You know, and so we're all like looking and trying to move around. And he's squirming and laughing and doing and, and when you see that going on, you think, man, he longs to, to see them. And, and you can see them at some level, but really there's nothing greater than them actually being there in person. As good as FaceTime is, we want to see them. We want to touch them. We want to be face to face with them. This seems to be something that Paul continues to direct towards the Lord. Lord, please let me see these people. You know, you kind of wonder sometimes, do you? Do you long to be with God's people that way? You ever, I, I had somebody not too long ago say, man, I, we missed this last week. And not that churches, coming to a church service is where it's all, it's not. But we missed this last week and I just missed gathering with the people of God. It's something we should never take lightly. It should be something that, ur, that urge within us to be close to God's people. It should be there all the time. The second thing you say, he also prays that the Lord will cause them to increase and abound in love. What does he want their love to be directed towards? It's not it's not just for the church. It's for all people. He's going to present that really. And it's interesting. Uh, we didn't do this 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 year. We may at some point. But Monday, Thursday is something where it's the mandate. It's, it kind of has the picture. And I put this in the city this week. It, it's the picture of really what was Jesus telling his disciples at the very last supper? And he says, they'll know you kind of by your love for one another. You're to love one another. You're to love one another. You're, that's kind of this overwhelming thing. Love one another. 
He commanded that. And it's kind of a way every year churches celebrate that. That we should love one another. That's at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. It's to love. And he says he, he's moving through that. You see that. That your love may increase and abound for one another. And for all. We should be people that are dominated by a desire to see others come to know the Lord. And to grow in the Lord. And to invest our lives in them. And look at verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. See that? What does it mean to live a holy life? A lot of times if we get a little picture in our mind, a holy life would be sitting in my little quiet room, bowed my head, totally cut off from the world. Aren't you a lot more holy there by your little self? It, it's, it's really good. You're really good sometimes at being good until you have to be around people. And the closer you get to people, the more you start to say, whoa, hold on just a second. There's sin there in my heart. Imagine that. Paul says, and I think it's very important that we see here this this idea of growing in faith and in love. Is what it means to be holy. And I think that's important that we see that because when you understand that. When you grasp that, Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the summary of the law. That's the summary of the Ten Commandments. Whenever I I act in an unholy way, an ungodly way, it's a lack of love for God and others that is on display. And so I think it's important that we grasp that. He's saying you should love one another and love all people. As you have been loved. Remember, Jesus loved us even while we were enemies of His. He calls us to follow Him in that way. That's what it means to grow in holiness and godliness as a Christian. So every year, you and I, we celebrate Easter. It's a marvelous time. It's a time to reflect on that Christ came. That He literally died. That he rose again from the grave. And as Mike said earlier, every Sunday is a time to reflect on the resurrection. He was raised by the power of God. It showed us, it was validating for us that God was satisfied with his sacrifice. That that really he defeated the power of sin and death. He was raised, he ascended into heaven and said, I'm coming again. And we as God's people are coming together week after week and we're saying the the crucified and risen Lord is coming again. This faith that we have is real. That this risen Savior is in heaven and He will return and He will gather up His people from the four winds of the earth, from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And one day, really, when He returns, He's going to resurrect all people. Some will be resurrected to eternal damnation. Some will be resurrected to eternal life. And so for us today, when we're sitting here gathering week after week, we are reminding one another that we should live for Him because He died and rose again and he is living now and we should serve him and offer our lives to him because he offered himself for us and what we would say to you if you're not a believer here today is that one day you will stand before this resurrected Jesus and you had better have aligned yourself with him or you have no hope 
Today for the Christian, this is the most glorious thing that Jesus reigns, that he is Lord and that he will return. But for you outside of him, there is no hope. This would be a haunting day. So we call upon you to know this glorious Lord who offers himself willingly to rescue people from all over the world, from every century. He has been drawing people to himself. And we ask you to come to him today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Thank you that we can minister to one another, not out of our own strength, but out of the power of the risen Christ who sent the Spirit to bring life to dead people, to empower people who are dead in their trespasses and sins to live and to love. Lord, I pray this morning if there are those here that claim Christ but do not overflow with love that they would repent. That they would turn away from their sins. They would make things right, confessing it before you, confessing before those who they have offended. Pray, Lord, if there are those here today who have yet to believe in Christ, who have a belief that is, is very much a neglect of living for the Lord. I pray that you would convict their hearts, that they would see the marvelous love that you show through your saints, that you showed through the Apostle Paul today for God's people. May we all have that, Lord. I pray if there's someone here today who have yet to believe in Christ, I pray that they would see, maybe by gathering with us, as they read even these pages of Scripture, that they would see there is a love that transcends what a human can come up with on his own. It's a love given by you. May we model that as a church, and maybe they see that as the, in a very clear way. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.